Welcome to More Than One Thing with me, Athena Calderon, the podcast focused on non-traditional career paths, creative endeavors, and the ever-evasive multi-hyphenate. We live in a world today which encourages us to be the multifaceted humans that we are, though we're still subjected to antiquated pressures to follow a single path to success. But there is so much beauty to be found in our complexities, and I want to encourage you to embrace your full self. This is a podcast about taking the road less traveled, to find your passion and purpose while navigating the hurdles and hoops we all jump through on this personal and creative journey. I'm your host, Athena Calderon, author, interior designer, chef, recipe developer, entertaining expert, creative director, stylist, product designer, storyteller, editor, and certified oversharer. Does that sound like an insanely long way to describe my career? Well, it is, and that's exactly why we're all here. Every week, I'll be sitting down with another multi-hyphenate who I admire deeply to talk through their struggles, vulnerabilities, and eventual successes throughout their long and winding journey to where they are now. Because it's in other stories, I believe we can always see a little piece of ourselves. Today's guest is the talented, creative, entrepreneur, mother of two, and thought leader, Eunice Bian. Despite not having a culinary background, the former financial analyst and beauty exec stepped away from the corporate world to disrupt the cookware industry with her company, Material. And it's safe to say she's given it the shakeup it needed. Since 2018, the elevated yet affordable kitchen essentials line has sought to reimagine how home cooks approach their kitchen. And it struck a nerve. Material's game-changing product designs, combined with a year of people staying in to cook, has seen unprecedented growth for the brand. This incredible success also helped fuel their recent foray into tableware. The beautiful collection of bowls and plates were designed in collaboration with soul-based ceramicist Soil Baker. And I hear more tabletop launches are on their way. But the real beauty and materials product lies in the intentionality behind them. The DNA and values of the brand are deeply rooted in the co-founder's heritage. Eunice is Korean-American, while her co-founder, Dave Nguyen, is Vietnamese-American. And their identities also show up in materials' thoughtful designs. Just like its namesake, Eunice thinks a lot about materials, how she can use them to rethink the status quo, and ultimately, how to make your kitchen tools work smarter and harder. In doing so, material has achieved the seemingly impossible, fusing utility and beauty into one accessible price point. If there's one through thread in Eunice's hyphenated career, it's that she's never been limited to just one thing. In fact, as we discover today, it has been the fuel for her success. I can't wait to dive into her journey from finance to beauty and now design to discover how it has informed her unique approach to the cookware industry. I am so excited to welcome Eunice Bian to More Than One Thing. Eunice, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm so inspired by material and what you've created. And you've quite literally are the definition of a nonlinear career path. I know most recently you were the head of digital at Revlon. But interestingly, you graduated from Northwestern University with a degree in learning and organizational change. So tell me a little bit about how your career has kind of unfolded in a nonlinear way and how you bounced around to so many different verticals to bring you to this moment in your life. For me, the the silver thread through all of it has just been... Um, following my intuition and following my heart as I've navigated my way through lots of different industries and careers. And 
um, like you said, I started in finance and I actually had no idea what Goldman Sachs was when I had gone through this crazy interview process and, and learned more about the world of finance. And I, I took maybe an econ class here or there in college. But uh, I think for me, what I was really attracted to was just uh, the people and being able to surround myself around people who were so interesting and so fascinating to me. And uh, Goldman being a place where they really value different backgrounds and experiences. So they're not looking for that finance major um, at all times. That was just something really intriguing to me. So yeah, I ended up going there and um, loving just everything that I learned there around how to interact with people and um, talk to amazing individuals in business who had built massive companies as like a early 20 year old. It was just a life experience that I think I learned a lot from. But as I was there, I knew my heart wasn't in the subject matter itself. And I even, I think I had a, a performance review where my manager said, you know, you're doing great. You're, you're, we, we love having you here, but you know, maybe you could read the wall street journal a little bit more. And I think that's what I realized. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't interest me in the way that I think I looked at some of the peers around me and they were just so into the markets and it, it just it wasn't something that I was interested in. How did you get there though initially? What brought you there? Like are you good with numbers? Like how did you go from that degree at Northwestern to finance? Yeah, you know, I just remember meeting someone who had worked at Goldman and this sounds terrible, but I just remember being so impressed with how she conducted herself and carried herself and uh, the poise and the confidence that she had as a, as a new college grad and, and hearing about her experiences. And so quite honestly, that was why I had started that whole recruitment process to begin with. It's so interesting because as you're saying this, and I'm just being completely candid, but as I was doing research about you and your career, I was listening to so many podcasts that you spoke on. And I remember... <laughs> Like just last night, I was listening to one and I was saying to myself, my goodness, she's just so articulate and poised and well-spoken and confident. So if your goal in going to <laughs> Goldman Sachs was to gain that, you 1000% achieved it. Thank you. Gosh, I, I don't think I felt that way probably actually for, for quite some time. And, and I, I truly do think it's all these different experiences led me to a place where I do feel more comfortable and confident in my abilities because I've seen so much more um, and I've done so much more than I think just the traditional path would have led me to. So I, I love it. That's why anyone I talk to who is looking to try something totally new, I'm always such a huge advocate for it because if, if you don't try it, you're never going to you're never going to know what it's like. And I just, I, I am so grateful for those experiences that I've had because they're so disparate and sometimes so unconnected <laughs> in so many ways. Throughout kind of changing career paths multiple times, did you struggle with making those shifts and changes? Like, was there ever any uncertainty or shame around it? Or were you just like, okay, this isn't working. Let me try something else. There definitely was some questions that I got is, you know, whether it was in interviews and people saying like you were in finance, why do you want to do something different now? Or you were in intimate apparel and now you're going to be in the startup world or, you know, all these different junctions that I've had in my career. A lot of people questioned it. Um, and sometimes you get, I think, a bad rap of being, you know, not committed to something. But for me, I always knew it was time to go on to the next thing when I felt as though I wasn't learning. Uh, and that I've, I kind of reached a point in which, sure, I could phone it in and continue to do what I was doing and progress in my career. But if I lost that sense of waking up that morning and being like, gosh, I'm trying something new or it's something different or, you know, could I go build this or that? If I lost that that spark, I knew it was time for me to try and find something else. And lo and behold, that ultimately led me to you know, have my own company and, and build something out um, from the bottom up. But if you had told me, you know, when I was an analyst at Goldman, that one day I'd be an entrepreneur, I would have been stunned <laughs> that yeah. um, I would, I would take that path because it just, you know, it just, it was never ingrained, I think, within me. You know, I grew up as an immigrant kid and 
my parents came here from Korea so that my sister and I could have, you know, this amazing life ahead of us. And sometimes that meant these very stereotypical jobs of being a doctor or being a lawyer. And so, yeah, I just, I, I never have really thought I would end up where I ended up. But I, every time I look back at it, I realize, gosh, every step along the way was preparing me for this moment that I'm in today. I love that. And I so like wholeheartedly believe that. I feel as though even though there might not have been a word for it growing up, your grandfather was an entrepreneur in beginning to open Chinese restaurants. Can you share a little bit about maybe like seeing that and yes. having that be a part of, you know, what you witnessed as a child? Yes, absolutely. So my grandfather, uh, he was born in Korea and he had done a lot of different things. And my dad even shared with me recently that my grandfather was one of the first individuals to open up uh, a line of trade between parts of China and into Korea. And my grandfather was the first to come uh, from our family to America. And he came when he was like in his 50s or 60s. I mean, he was not a young chicken by any means. I mean, he was coming over when he was already established. And he ended up, of all places, in Kansas, which is where I was born. Uh, mm -hmm. And he, even though we are not um, of Chinese descent, I think he saw an opportunity for uh, a Chinese restaurant in Kansas and introducing people uh, to this, you know, cuisine was was important to him, and so it became a family business. And my father, when he ended up coming from Korea, he was supposed to come and continue his engineering schooling, and my grandfather needed help and said, "Hey, come, you know, help me out at the restaurant for a little bit, and then you could eventually go to school." And my dad ended up um, just taking that business, continuing to grow it. We then moved uh, eventually to San Diego, which is where I grew up. And my father has been a small business owner in San Diego ever since then. So yeah, I mean, it's it's in my blood. I just, I think when you were that young, you know, and people asked you, what do you want to be when you grew up? You just, you didn't even have the words to describe it. And I would always change my answer because quite honestly, I never knew what I wanted to be. But yeah, it's 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 definitely in in my family. Um, just that that fire again for for creating something that may not have existed before. Yeah. So I would love for you to describe for our listeners what material is, and what kind of the initial spark was for why you built this brand and business. And then, you know, I know that you believe in the power of cooking to express yourself and to kind of spark meaningful moments, which, as you know, this is very aligned with my own personal philosophy around food. So if you could just share like a little bit about materials, DNA and values and how they're deeply rooted in, in who you are and, and how you grew up. Yeah. So Material is a company that my um, friend and I co-founded about now, a little over three years ago. And it really came from a place of longing. We wanted something as kind of newly christened home cooks that made us feel something in the kitchen. And I know sometimes that's that's kind of hard to describe, but when you're a home cook and and you're you're really falling in love with cooking and and having people over and sharing in meals with one another. There's like this emotional connection that you have um, to just the act of cooking and hosting and sharing. And we wanted to find a way to translate that into the very things that you use to cook with. We knew that there are a lot of products out there that you could get, you know, at like a Bed Bath and Beyond, or you could go to a William Sonoma, or you could go to these little um, cookware shops here and there, but we wanted to try and really create a experience and um, a brand that allowed people to fall in love with the things that they used every day mm -hmm. and that that would be a conduit to really just to help them continue to fall in love with the whole act of cooking. And it, it started small for us in that, you know, we wanted to make sure we approached it systematically. So we started with, okay, how can we um, create this like little mini capsule collection of things that we think every home cook should have? And over the last few years, we've really layered into it 
um, all the different components that we know we've been looking for, whether it's the perfect cutting board or whether it's a pan that will kind of age well with you, or, you know, now just recently ceramics, um, something that is this maybe foundation of a collection. It's not the whole collection, but we recognize that, you know, people are building and filling their kitchens with items and, and we want them to be items that, that they that they deeply love because we just think it helps connect them to, to the whole act of cooking. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of been the, the genesis. I love it so much. And as you know, I exclusively use my material knives all the time. And I think that like, I don't know that I have ever received more DMs from people to say like, what knives are those? So I know that beauty is at the core of what you wanted to create. I mean, of course, like the experience of of cooking and using these items, but your background in beauty definitely led you to, you know, want to design these incredibly detailed designs that are at their core beautiful. But how did you go about it? Like if somebody said to me, Athena, we want you to design a knife, I wouldn't even know how to begin. So what was the process of saying like, okay, we have this amazing idea and we know what our core values are, but how did you make it a reality for all the people out there that want to take that leap of faith coming from vastly different career backgrounds? How did you make this passion project a reality? Yeah, I mean, we started quite honestly with just friends and family and, and thinking about what the people that we knew in our lives um, that loved to cook and, and really appreciated um, design and, and were looking for kind of beautiful things for their kitchen. We relied a lot on some of their input. Um, one of the things a lot of people don't know about us is we actually design everything in house. So we don't work with design firms or anything like that. And it's nothing against design firms. It's just that we feel as though uh, the iterative process of design is so fluid. Um, and being able to have an amazing industrial designer in-house just allows us to kind of make these minor, minor tweaks that sometimes I feel like a design firm would look at you and say, are you crazy? Like you really want to move that one mm over, you know, you want to shave that down or you want to rethink that. Like right. we're just... We're so meticulous um, about the design process. And a lot of it truly is just informed from things we're seeing around us and things that we're inspired by. And, you know, I'd say it's a lot more fluid. we, We don't have these massive design briefs or anything like that. Like I said before, a lot of it's just filling in things that we wish that we had. And so that sense of longing for gosh, I've always wanted to have, and then fill in the blank, um, a more beautiful this or, you know, something that, that will stand the test of time. Because I know we've all had those spatulas that maybe like a few months into it melts. And we just, we didn't want to have that uh, experience. And so uh, it's, it's so much more fluid and I'm sure you can relate to it. And just like, it takes a life of its own, each and every single product that we do. And there are a lot of things that we have in our arsenal that may never see the light of day, but those are things that I think continue to keep us creative as a, as a core team, because we are constantly talking about design. Right. So even though you have these in-house designers, like every idea is coming from you and your partner, Dave. Like I know, I know for instance, that your ladle is actually a quarter cup of liquid so that, you know, if you have to put a cup in, you know, to put four scoops in, which is genius. Like, I I mean, it's just so smart, but, and shocking that, you know, nobody's really thought of that before. Because we, we, we are so focused on the home cook. I mean, you know, nothing against professional chefs or anything. We love them. We just, we're not as skilled as them. Right. So, but that's your benefit, right? Totally. But like for us, we always say as a home cook, you want to reduce the amount of dirty dishes you have in the sink or the amount of tools and the amount of pans and the amount of like the things that you have to pull out. Cause at the end of dinner, like no one's there to help clean up after, right? It's, you don't have a staff of individuals that are there to, to kind of help clean up after, after you cook. So for us, it was just little insights like that, that we just wanted to make sure that again, as home cooks, we infused all of that into the designs because we just knew what, what we would want, and we just hoped that that would translate to what other home cooks might be looking for as well. Yeah. So 
I want to talk with you about your recently launched ceramics collection, which I just received and I'm so excited. So congratulations there. But talk me through that evolution, like going from cookware to tabletop, like what was the intention and the direction and kind of your overarching goal for the line? Yeah. So we've always wanted to enter into the the table space um, because again, for us, it's just so connected to the, the kitchen and, and it's just such a place of community. And, you know, we really struggled because there's so many brands out there and, and pieces that we love and adore. And we wanted to make sure that we had our own sense of being like, what could we contribute and what could we bring that might not be there today? And then the second thing that we thought of was, you know, sometimes I think especially big retailers, they think that people want like a set in a box. And what I love about the table is it's a place where you can collect things that you love. Um, They don't always have to match. They don't always have to be from the same place. They could be totally different styles, but so long as it reflects what it is that you love, then that's that's what you should have. That's what should work for you. And so we really wanted to straddle the space between what do people want to have and use every day, but how could that fit into maybe a more beautiful, varied collection that they've started to build or they've built over and amassed over a few years? So we felt as though if we could provide the, the foundation of you know what you could build upon or what you could layer into, that felt right to us so that there wasn't one set answer. And then the other thing that was important was you know, we really wanted to focus in on some of the Eastern way of doing ceramics. Um, you know, I, I mentioned uh, I'm Korean American, and you know, I remember actually getting Korean ceramics as a young child and being just really moved by the the quiet beauty of the pieces. They never felt that they were really loud. They always felt like they were just um, so uniquely crafted. Whether it was the texture or the look, it just it always felt really special to me. So when when we had the chance to partner together with Soil Baker, uh, they're based in Korea. They create all their beautiful work in Yeoju, which is kind of the ceramics capital of of Korea. Um, we we knew it could be a really magical opportunity, and it's been really, really, I think, deeply personal for us as a team. Because um, I don't think when we started designing, we would have ever imagined that we would be launching it in an environment where the Asian American story has been so full of pain and fear. And so, being able to really just share this this kind of personal moment with with our community um, has has been, I think, empowering, but also freeing and something that I know as a team, we've talked a lot about. And yeah, so so we're just so happy that it's that it's out there and that uh, people can learn about just this, the story behind it, because uh, it is it's something that yeah, we've, we're really proud of. Yeah, you should be so proud of it you choosing to be vulnerable with your community recently about when you opened up about personal experiences with racism after the rise in violence and discrimination against the AAPI community. You said two things that really resonated deeply with me, and I'd love to kind of dive into that. One was you said that as an Asian American, you encounter racism so casually and so backhandedly and that we're now seeing with our elderly so quietly. And I don't know, that really struck a chord with me because you also said in the same sentence that as a young child, yourself and so many Asian Americans were told to hold your tongue or to ignore certain things and to, to sit in that silence. But now you and, and many people are coming forth and no longer can be silent. So... Um, I, I'd love for you to kind of share a little bit about your experience. Yeah, so um, the kind of piece that you're referencing is something that I wrote for Mother Magazine. Um, and it, it was something where I wrote about just all the experiences that I've had in, in my life so far as an Asian American and the, the racism that I've encountered, as so many have from really from childhood. And it was a piece that was 
very hard for me to write because I hadn't thought about it for so long. Uh, cause it's almost like the whole pain from it had kind of like blistered and it, it had hardened, like, because it had been first building for such a long time that I almost forgot what it was like to feel that racism and to feel that pain because I had hardened myself to it. And so I think as I had written it, yeah, I think what a lot of us have felt in the API community has just been, people think sometimes it's, it doesn't mean as much when it's, it's words and it's, you know, someone saying to you at a young age, like you're, you don't look like me or why don't you have beautiful golden hair like me? Or, you know, why, why do you eat that? That, that looks gross or that, that smells bad or, you know, and, mm. and I think even at a young age, you're like, well, gosh, that like, I'm different than like something about me is inherently different than these other people. Um, and then right. it starts to build on top of that. And it starts to become, oh, well, where are you from? Or why do you not have an accent? Um, and I used to get from people like, are you from North Korea or South Korea? And I'm like, oh my, like, come on. Like, if oh I'm, from, that's not from North Korea, you know, like, so it's just like, you get these sometimes seemingly maybe innocent questions, but really rooted in a lack of knowledge and understanding and right. a lack of trying to understand and a lack of trying to maybe educate yourself. And it was always like the onus was on me to try and teach people what right. it was like to be an Asian American. And that's a, that's kind of a heavy burden to have at, you know, at a young age to feel as though you have to explain these different dimensions to who you are and your identity that you can't even, you don't even quite know who you are at that point. Right. So yeah, it was, it was really hard. And, you know, I, I wrote about some of the, the hardships in having immigrant parents and having, you know, parents who didn't know the language um, uh, really that well when they first came and, and having people say terrible things to my, my, my parents and yelling at me and telling me to go back to my country and, you know, all these things. So it's, it's definitely, I think, our time to, to speak up and um, to show that all these small cuts that they, they go so deep and they really yeah. affect you. And especially with the elderly now, I mean, it is just mind blowing how many acts of violence we're seeing and yet they continue. And I think that's right. the most frustrating thing is that we're seeing them, they're being shared across all of social media. And yet it feels like no one cares. And it's terrible to feel like you're a part of a minority that is not seen. And then you see these videos where it's very clear that no one's seeing you and that you're invisible and that they're shutting the door on you, right? Like that right. just, it almost makes it so deeply painful. I mean, I'm glad to, to be able to talk about it now. And I'm glad that so many uh, in the API community are really um, opening themselves up and, and sharing their own personal stories. But it really, it requires all of us to change um, and to change the way that we joke with our friends, to change the way that media represents us, to um, hear more diverse stories. So I hope, I really, really, truly hope that something happens out of all this, because if not, my God, the, the violence that we're seeing will continue. And it's, it's just so, it's too painful to watch. I can see that all of these microaggressions and these suppressive kind of beliefs are so deeply embedded in our country. And, you know, I think that there's so much power in speaking out. So I know that Material has been supporting the AAPI community since the pandemic. Can you, you share some of those initiatives and what the response has been? For sure. So uh, I, I think earlier you spoke a little bit about core values. And, and one of the things that um, my co-founder Dave and I have, have really wanted to build into the company from day one was just giving back to the community and really being plugged in in a, a way that didn't turn it into marketing, right? Like we never wanted to do something because it felt as though it would better the, the company sales. It, it really came down to how can we make sure that we're always giving back in, in a multitude of ways and sometimes in, in quiet ways that people wouldn't necessarily see. So that was really important to us from, from the beginning. Um, and so we've partnered with different organizations, whether it's like Sylvia Center or um, Raices, 
uh, and talking about you know, immigration reform and things like that. And then somewhere along the way, someone had said, no one knows what you're doing, Eunice. Like, why are you not talking about these things? Why are you kind of like keeping them so hidden? You, you need to be more vocal about it because people care. Like they want to see companies doing things that align with their values. And, and yeah. it was then that we're like, okay, you're right. You know, we should stop being so kind of maybe even modest about the things that we care about. And we should be vocal, we should find ways to get people involved. And we should try and leverage this platform we're building to really um, help build awareness. So we had started during the holidays, a campaign that's called Kinder Kitchens. And it's really always around taking this frenzied season that is holiday shopping and finding a way to give back. So we do this whole, you know, it's the only time of the year we'll discount things on the site. Um, mm-hmm. But in doing so, we give people a chance to donate a portion of their discount. Um, and we always choose two different organizations. So last year during the pandemic, we partnered with Heart of Dinner and Drive Change. Both are organizations doing incredible things. Um, Heart of Dinner in particular, they really, really early on during the pandemic recognized that uh, the elderly in the API community were not going out because they were fearful, one, of covid and fearful too of just the the rise in um, xenophobia and hate towards the a- Asian community. Right. So what Lin and Yin did as the founders is they started creating and, and delivering culturally appropriate meals for the AAPI elderly and delivering them and, you know, drawing these most beautiful um, things on the bags and putting in handwritten notes just to create that sense of connection with elderly who may not have had any social interaction because of the pandemic. So we've been able to do some incredible work with those two organizations. And then most recently, um, we partnered up with Hate is a Virus. And what's great about them is, again, they they were born uh, at the early stages of the pandemic as they started to see this, this rise um, in hate. And they donate across a multitude of organizations, um, whether it's mental health related, the elderly, other just initiatives for the, the BIPOC community. And so we've been trying to do our best of just making sure that, you know, at any chance we have where we can use our voice to support and honor the work that some of these organizations are doing, we'll absolutely do it. We love partnering with them longer term than just, you know, one little drop in the bucket. So it's it's been really rewarding, but more than anything, it's allowing us to put money back into the community and, and in places where it's needed most. Absolutely. And especially since, you know, community and gathering is at the core of what your belief system is, you know, giving back in that way is so meaningful. I would love to go back a minute about another hyphen of yours and talk about the beauty industry, because, you know, I wholeheartedly believe, which I shared earlier, that kind of each fragmented bit of our stories kind of leads us to the next moment in our lives. So how did working at Revlon and working in beauty help guide some of your choices at Material? Immensely. It's crazy because you, you said, I mean, they're different categories, but I think what they have in common is a love and passion for that thing when you find, you know, whether it's that lipstick or, you know, my co-founder came from luxury fashion, like that bag where it's like, it's yours, right? It's, it, it's representative of like who you are, right? It's that perfect shade. It's the, the perfect everyday bag. And, and we wanted to create that same level of connectivity to the items that you have in your kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. So if you fall in love with something so deeply in these other categories, why can't you do the same um, with the very tools that that you're using every single day? I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, so it, I, I mean, it's so funny because we had started to piece together material actually right before I started at Revlon and had started building it and working through it, you know, nights, weekends, um, things like that. But while I was in the beauty industry, I collected so many different just ideas and inspiration. So, you know, what was happening in the beauty industry at the time was obviously the rise in social media influencers, but it, it came back to me. Um, and the way I interpret it was just word of mouth, right? Like, how do you go back to this place of people loving something so much that they want to share about it with one another? 
And there was just something about not being so reliant on all these, you know, quote unquote, like growth marketing hacks of how can we get this algorithm to get us to the right eyeballs and, you know, calculate. It just felt really impersonal to me. Mm -hmm. And so when we built material, you know, we knew that our growth trajectory was going to look different because we didn't want to put all of our eggs in the Facebook advertising basket. Like we didn't want to build a brand where maybe the first place you heard about it was because you got served up an ad. To us, our customers in our community, they want to discover things. They want to find something because maybe Athena cooks with it and they love Athena and they trust who she is and the things that she has, therefore they would be interested in exploring it themselves, right? Like that was something that we really, I'd say, borrowed from the beauty industry uh, and what I was seeing when I was at Revlon. And I think that's what made so many of these indie beauty brands so successful is because they built that authentic community where people just raved about it. And that was enough from a marketing perspective. So that's really been, I think, the underpinnings of just the way we approach the brand and telling our story because we do rely so much on people just sharing about their own experiences and doing so in a really natural and organic manner. Yeah. You know, people have really felt that this podcast is very relatable because there's so many people that are looking to transition from different careers and are afraid to change careers. But In hearing you speak right now, it was almost to your benefit that you were building a business as you were full-time in a completely different career because you were able to directly link these ideas from one to the other, even though they were vastly different. So I find that really interesting because, you know, maybe if there was like a pause and a separation, maybe you wouldn't have directly linked those two things. But, you know, you were kind of simultaneously working at both ideas. So, yeah, I think that that cross-pollination is is really important and valid. And I just kind of wanted to bring that to people's attention that, you know, you can build something while you're still in a vastly different career. Absolutely. And it also, I think, gave me a bit of a mental safety net because I could think about big ideas for material and maybe how I might want to grow it or build it or or establish it because I wasn't so fearful of just, oh my gosh, am I going to have a paycheck or, you know, like, oh my gosh, where am I going to get this this funding from? Or, you know, it just, it allowed me, uh, and I think my co-founder, Dave, who was, who was working at Chanel at the time, it just allowed us a place of like, oh gosh, we can, we can dream a little bit differently because we're not dreaming from a place of fear. Right. Thinking about fear or overcoming fears, I know that material has been featured in every major publication, New York Times Cooking, Forbes, Domino, GQ's Best Stuff of the Year. And from the outside, it might look like an overnight success story. But, you know, I know for you in building it, it was a a different kind of story. And I'm wondering if you can look back on your journey, if there was a specific hurdle that you faced to kind of get to the point of success and kind of how you overcame that hurdle. Yeah, I think for us, especially at Material, I think the hurdles that we face are when we get compared to other direct-to-consumer companies. And I think this really is for the people who are listening, who, you know, touch the venture world or, you know, familiar with the investment world, like they're always anchoring off of precedent. So they're like, okay, well, this company did that before. So can you become the next away of the kitchen, right? Can you be the next Warby Parker of the kitchen? Right. And what for pressure. Us, yeah, we, we just, we hated that because we don't feel like the kitchen should be grown and almost kind of like dismantled in a way like some of these other categories where it was like a winner takes all mentality. We just felt as though there's so much rich richness and texture of what the kitchen symbolizes to people and what they need. And, and I think for us, we really feel as though like home cooks should have access to multiple things and they should have a really beautifully varied kind of kitchen and the things that they want it shouldn't all just be from one place, right? Um, Because everyone cooks differently or has different needs. And I think that was really hard because we would constantly, whether it was investors or potential investors or just even 
editors, like always trying to compare you to something else. Um, and what we just wanted to say is we're, we want to build a company of substance and value. And, and that may look different because our growth cycle might look different. The level of investment that we require might look different. The team that we want to build might look different. And sometimes people just didn't get it. They just wanted us to, you know, hypercharge our growth and literally copy what other people are doing in order to grow faster. And we've had to say no to a lot of things because that just doesn't sit well with us, right? We don't want investors who say, how can you exploit this market in such a way to grow so that we all make millions? That's not what motivates us. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. And so we've definitely um, had to turn certain things down or step away from certain types of relationships just because um, they went against kind of the values that we have as not only a company, but just as individuals. So that's hard because that means we're always, I mean, we are scrappy. Like we are the type of founders who are packing things ourselves and sending things out and running around. And I mean, like people I think would be so surprised to know that we're responding to customer service emails. We are DMing, like we are doing a lot of that ourselves um, because that's the type of business that we want to build, um, one that we're really involved in. So yeah, it's, it might mean that we're, doing and making different decisions than others, but, but we're okay with that. Yeah. And then on the flip side, what was kind of this, this catalyst where you kind of felt as though that you were standing in this place of I am instead of am I like either personally or within the business, like that moment where you just really that light bulb went off where you felt like, okay, this, this is going to work. I'm, I'm proud of this. I think it's when we started recognizing names of customers who with every new introduction would be like the first people to purchase. And for us, it was, gosh, like we're creating things that people are spending their hard earned money on bringing it into their home and into their personal space. And they're coming back and continuing to be a part of this journey of ours. And that's so meaningful because again, we don't take like lightly the fact that you know people are purchasing the things that we're creating and and they're using them um, on a daily basis. Like we we take that responsibility really seriously because we don't want to just add more junk into this world that already has so much stuff in it. And so I think it's when we started to recognize that people, yeah, they 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 want things from material and they they're pleased with them and they send us notes and and they offer us advice and they tell us when they think we're doing something wrong all those things you know i think have really shown to me that like we're building something that matters and we're building something that i'm proud to you know tell my two daughters about and explain to them you know what it is that i do when i'm shutting the door and you know on yes. my laptop all day long yeah it's 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 been really rewarding to just hear from from our customers directly yeah that's beautiful getting to the point where you are now in your career obviously wasn't a solo journey and kind of one of the things that i've learned is to lean on and seek out people around me for advice and inspiration and encouragement and i feel like it's so kind of essential to share stories of you know how you can get more comfortable with asking for help because that wasn't necessarily instinctual for me and you know for people to hear your story and know that you know you were in finance and then you were in beauty and you know now you're in a startup and you know a kitchen space like how did you a have blind faith and how did you ask for help when you didn't know how to you know continue on your journey i think the blind faith has just come from and it's so funny cuz I, I i think that's why i love this podcast so much is because it truly has just been from drawing upon all these varied experiences that i've had and it was knowing that like this wasn't the first time that I've seen whatever it is that I'm facing. Maybe it was in a different industry or maybe it was with different people, but I started to recognize that there are these patterns of, you know, whether it's issues you're encountering or the types of people you're encountering and dealing with, there are these kind of archetypes of things that are happening around you. And I think once I started to recognize those patterns, it it took the scariness away from it and said, Mm. okay, like it's, this isn't totally new. This is kind of like when you 
encountered this before and, you know, using those experiences to give me the confidence, um, I think, I think has helped a lot. I mean, I am not shy for asking for help because (laughs) again, through that, this whole process, I mean, I've learned like, I am so grateful for my parents and being able to even now, like I, I talk to them about business and they can tell when I'm worried about something and, you know, they just are able to give me words of encouragement or advice and, you know, talking to my husband about it, talking to other friends and founders. And I I just am floored by how strong of a community there is amongst founders and how many are able to just help you because they know what it's like to be exactly in your shoes so I, I just feel like it's an embarrassment of riches, truly, and like how many people have had, it just had their hands all over this business and, and helped us along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's just about being, not being shy and being like, oh my gosh, we're going through this. Have you been here? What do we do? Like, you know, yeah. and, and really being open and transparent about it. But what's really interesting to me is that I feel like the overarching message that you're sharing across, you know, the racism and also across business is to to not be silent, mm. to, to ask for help and to speak up. And, you know, I think that that that's probably the best advice anybody that's about to engage on a life journey, a creative journey, a business journey kind of needs to hear. No, Absolutely. In closing, I would love to kind of have you share, like in this world of ever expanding alternative career paths, you know, what advice you give to somebody who wants to kind of take this road less traveled or that has a lot of different interests or might feel shame surrounding jumping to a different career, whether internally feeling shamed about it or from the community or from family, you know, to just to be okay with being a little bit of of a hummingbird and cross-pollinating to various career pursuits. I think for me, it's, it was learning and knowing that I'm stronger than I thought I was, right? So I, I would say for anyone that's you know, thinking about taking this road less traveled, as you say, um, just knowing you're stronger than, than you could ever imagine. And that with mm-hmm. every kind of failure or every no that, that you encounter, you will find a way through it. And that deepens just and strengthens your fortitude, right? I I think I used to be someone that was crippled with fear and anxiety, and and I still am at times. But um, I think it just goes back to knowing that you've, you've seen it, you've encountered it in some way, shape or form before, and you'll get through it like you, you will. One of the best things I was told as an entrepreneur was tomorrow is another day, right? So Mm. sometimes it's just about okay, I'm going to muscle my way through the rest of whatever I'm going through right now. And tomorrow it's going to be another day and I'm going to be stronger for it. So I'd say just, yeah, having that sense of faith in in your own abilities um, and in your own strength will really help you as you navigate some of this uncharted territory. Mm, That is so beautiful and great advice. I know I give that advice to my son all the time. Like he's navigating, choosing where he's going to go to college and he just feels so overwhelmed every day with some of the choices. And I I mean, I think that that's great advice that you just shared, you know, just to get through one thing at a time before you let them all accumulate in your brain and overwhelm you. And then you just become paralyzed, right? Absolutely. Well, I am such a fan of yours and of material and of all of my material pieces in my kitchen. And, you know, my core philosophy is that beauty elevates the ordinary and that your kitchen should not just be kind of utilitarian and that should also, you know, engage kind of beauty in the things that you love. So your story and materials, core values, just nestle right into my beliefs. So I will always be a supporter and I'm really grateful for you coming on the podcast and kind of sharing your story and vulnerability and just wanted to say thank you. Well, and if I may, I just wanted to also say thank you to you because, you know, I think we wouldn't be where we are today if people like you didn't trust us early on. And and I, I always say from, from day one, you were just such a our ardent supporter of ours. And it, I think that speaks a lot to just who you are as an individual because we were brand new and, and you just kind of entrusted us with the things that you were creating and the things that you were building. And and we're just so grateful because 
yeah, if it, if it wasn't for, for individuals like you, we, we definitely wouldn't be where we are. So, so thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, community for me is really what launched my career. I felt so isolated um, on my own for so long and meeting like-minded people like yourself, you know, really is what inspired so many possibilities within what my business can be and seeing, you know, people like you create in a similar ethos of what I believe. So yeah, I mean, building community and finding like-minded creatives means so much to me. And I also feel really inspired because creating something tangible that you can have and love and live with over the years is so important to me. So I will one day be inspired to create my own line, but until then be so supportive of material (laughs) and always be supportive of material. So thank you. Thank you so much. That was Eunice Bian, co-founder of Material, talented creative, entrepreneur, mother of two, and thought leader. Thanks for tuning in to More Than One Thing. If you enjoyed today's show, I would be so grateful if you could take a moment to rate and review us. And I'd also love your feedback. Which multi-hyphenates would you like to hear on the show? Send guest suggestions or any other feedback to more than one thing podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to check us out on our newly launched Instagram account, more than one thing podcast. And you can find me personally on social at iSwoon. If you would like to receive the more than one thing newsletter, please head over to i-swoon.com and sign up for the newsletter. I'm Athena Calderon, and you've been listening to More Than One Thing.